2: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for
1: details football social daily with German doner kebab slow cooked succulent meats delivered fast to your door search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo
0: Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast keeping you across all the news from the English top flight with a large slice of opinion thrown in there too. By downloading Football Social Daily, you're one of more than a million people to do so, so thanks for downloading the show. Even through lockdown, where we've had no football now for two months. Even the usual off-season isn't as long as that. But you've stuck with us so much appreciated. And although we aren't daily right now, we'll still be bringing you three podcasts a week, including a Q&A show every single Friday during lockdown. We want your questions to answer, so slide into the old DMs on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. You can find us by searching for Sports Social on any of those platforms. Three cases of coronavirus at Brighton and Hove Albion. That's the big Premier League news at the start of this week. The Seagulls haven't been shy regarding their thoughts on Project Restart. How badly does this news scupper the chance of a Premier League return? Also expect to see lone lunacy over the coming weeks. There are 163 different lone players involved with Premier League clubs. We've spoken about out-of-contract stars on the podcast. We've forgotten the lonely lone rangers. What happens to them? Should returning stars be allowed to play when football gets back underway again? And of course, we'll be keeping across all the biggest transfer gossip from the back pages, including rumours regarding Newcastle United, Everton and Watford, so stick around for that. Alongside me in the Football Social Daily starting line-up today, we've got a Geordie and an Irishman, just like the 90s. Marley Anderson and Fergal Brennan are
1: here. Hello, chaps. Hello. Sounds like the start of a bad joke, that. You know, like... Like a Georgian Irishman and an Englishman walk into a pub or something like that. I was trying to think which uh,
0: late 90s Premier League team I could liken you to, but um, were there any Irish players in Arsenal's teams of the 90s, Fergus? I can't seem to think now.
2: David O'Leary? Oh, David O'Leary, yeah. Rolling back the ears a little bit, but uh, I think as I, as Arsenal got better and Ireland got worse, they kind of parted ways. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for better or for worse, as they say. Uh, let's move on to the big story of the Premier League this week. A third Brighton and Hove Albion player has tested positive for coronavirus. Now, we don't know who these players are by name, but what we're being told is that they will self-isolate for 14 days. This latest player, the third one to test positive, was tested on Saturday and two other players tested positive earlier on during this pandemic. Brighton players have actually been back at their training centre, their training ground, they've been Training individually, like most Premier League clubs have been doing, and Brighton have said that this will carry on. They're not going to stop their training schedule of individual training sessions per player just because this one person's contracted COVID 19. However, there is due to be a Premier League meeting today, Monday, to decide more about this project restart, how to kickstart the Premier League season back into action. Now, Marley, Brighton have been pretty vocal about how they want the season to restart. They don't want it to be behind closed doors. They don't want it to be in neutral venues. They don't want there to be relegation. Basically, they want the season to kickstart again, exactly how it stopped back in early March. Obviously, that's understandable from their point of view, being in a precarious position down the bottom of the Premier League. But this just goes to show a third player testing positive for coronavirus the the Premier League are going ha- to have even more hurdles to overcome before they can get things going again.
1: Yeah, um, I've seen uh, quite a lot on on uh, on social media and stuff after the this stuff came out about Brighton and the the testing positive and what have you about them saying, oh, it's it's good timing, isn't it, for Brighton? Of course, they would want this because they're in danger of being relegated. But to be honest, I don't th- I don't think a club would have that type of conscience to to go and do that i think they genuine i think they are genuine with with what they want in terms of they just want it to restart as it was with fans with relic um with everything as it was before it uh, before this virus gripped the uh, gripped the world um so i don't i do think it's a bit unfair when people are saying oh well yeah of course they'd say that um i was thinking about brighton as a as a place it's a very like it's a very liberal place isn't it brighton it's very modern very sort of open very welcoming and everything like that and i just think this this outlook on what they want fits with what brighton is as a as a club and as a, a place as a place to visit and all the rest of it if um, if you know anything about english the english uh, country i think brighton is one of the most sort of uh, open places to be and you know they've got the thriving you know, nightlife and everything down there and everything like that. And I just think it, it fits their their thing. I don't think there's anything um, dodgy about them, you know, thinking, oh, well, we might get relegated. I think they're a well-enough run club to, even if they did get relegated, they'd, they'd fancy the chances of coming straight back in, in terms of, you know, how the, how the club's set up and what have you. And let's be honest, there's still five teams below them, so it's not as if they're cut adrift at the bottom and they're, they're clutching at straws. They're still... If the if the table ended now, they would stay up, and they would still fancy the chances over the final eight games of or nine games, of um, of keeping themselves afloat because they've got West Ham and Watford below them before the bottom three, uh, and even possibly have the the uh, the sights set on the south coast rivals Southampton, who are five points ahead of them and have a much worse goal difference. So, in terms of that, I think um, I think that that this this opinion checks out and it's it's perfectly fine to have this opinion. I just think people are a little bit sort of saying that, oh well, you know, why why are they saying that? Because everyone's kind of looking for ways that football can come back as soon as possible. And maybe that's not the right thing to to say. Everyone's got their own opinion on it, but Brighton are probably playing it safe here and it's it's perfectly fine to want to do that, even if you do have to wait another six months or another you know to the to the to 2021 even i don't don't know when it's going to be neither does anyone that's the that's the kind of point of this whole thing but i think it's i think it's perfectly fine to have this to have this outlook on things and uh you know fair play to brighton
0: i think it's understandable every club and football has a tribal nature to it that they'll want to look after themselves for instance Norwich City's Todd Cantwell has tweeted regarding this Brighton player testing positive for COVID-19 and said, well, footballers are just humans as well. And I think he's got a really good point. But Norwich City are stone bottom of the Premier League table. And therefore, people are going to jump on his back, as what happens on social media, and say, well, of course you're going to say that because you don't want the season to continue because you're going to get relegated. But I think Todd Cantwell's got a good point, Fergal. It would be quite despicable of a club to kind of take for granted the fact that their players have got coronavirus just because they don't want the season to restart. I can't see, like Marley says, this being the reason for Brighton and Hove Albion revealing this.
2: No, I'd I'd agree completely. I think anyone disputing the, the, the validity of this information is on really unsteady ground. I think tribalism, football arguments, where you are in the table, doesn't really come into this. Brighton are, first and foremost, an employer. An employer has come forward and said, three of our members of staff... Have tested positive for coronavirus. Mm. That's it. That that's the only relevant piece of information in all of this. Just just as our employers, just as anyone's employers, could come forward with that piece of information. So, I think the argument that there's any sort of agenda here should be nipped in the bud immediately. And and I think thankfully, you know, aside from certain factions on social media, I think it has been. Um, and obviously, regard to Cantwell's comment, I think it's obviously quite simplistic in in nature, but it does need to be reinforced. This idea that. We're not getting into the argument of wages or money sloshing around, etc. Fundamentally, footballers, just like anybody today, tomorrow, next week, are facing the prospect of potentially going back into a working environment where they're not 100% certain of their own health, and and, and that's unacceptable. Whether it's football, whether it's any sort of an industry, and I think many fans are so quick to, to point back to the money argument. Oh well, you're well paid, aren't you? Or but you get this. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're on. 60 grand a week or six pound a week Mm. every footballer has the right to question their employer question the motives of the league question the motives of media broadcasters etc as to why they want the season to be restarted and it's it's completely fair for players to say until all of these things have been guaranteed i won't be setting foot on a football pitch again And and i think it's poor form from supporters if their only argument is, yeah, but what about all that money? Well, money doesn't guard you against coronavirus. You can't <laughs> eat money. You can't inject yourself with money. You know, £10 notes don't contain antibodies, as far as I know. No. That's, that's the simple situation, and I think the season is, is a mess, as it stands, whether it will restart, whether it won't restart. Personally, I think it will due to the fact that the forces at play here and the amount of money that could potentially be lost by some really powerful figures within English football I think it will um, but I think we're going to be waiting probably longer than, than we think and, and on that the kind of constant dates being thrown around of could be next week could be two weeks it uh, really unhelpful for people like ourselves who, who make our living from football but supporters everybody involved until there's a real clear path and, and I would be as cautious as possible with that kick it into late June, even into July, if you have to be certain of the safety of all people involved. But uh, until huge amounts of guarantees are met, there can't be any football in this country.
0: I would agree, to be honest. I mean, I think you've summed it up very well there. I just think that because of the way that football has exploded financially exponentially over the last 10 to 15 years, I think people do see footballers on on a different level to themselves in terms of almost being... Disposable figures like I, I called them circus animals a few podcasts ago because it does certainly feel like that, and they do get paid a lot of money, as you say, but you know i 'd rather not be dead of coronavirus than be paid sixty grand a week for, for three weeks and risk my health you know that 's just the way it goes, so I think it 's important to to mention that, but also in terms of brighton 's thoughts on fairness because we 've spoken about fairness loads on the last couple of podcasts, Marley. Is it as much about the fact that no neutral venues, no behind closed doors for them is within what they believe to be the best way to conclude the season rather than the safest? Because Fergal's right. Brighton probably have a point in saying, you know, we don't want to restart until everything's completely safe to the Premier League. And those stakeholders in the game, they would suggest that neutral venues and behind closed doors, etc., etc., is safe. Brighton will say, well, it's safe, but it's not fair. Are uh, Brighton basically waiting for the right concoction of circumstances before they'll come
1: forward and support this? Uh maybe. Um it does seem, you know, the if that is the case and Brighton are waiting for the perfect set of circumstances to come along, I think they're gonna be waiting a long, long time. Um as I've said many times on this on this podcast before, I think the situation requires um people to make acceptances. Whether that's playing games without fans, or you know, playing games at neutral venues, or whatever it may be, someone somewhere is not going to be happy with it. But you have to accept that. The only thing is, if it's if that if you're the person or you're the club who that isn't who are going to be uh, the ones who have to make a sacrifice, then it, it stings a bit, and there probably is legal implications to go with that, and and uh, you know cases of of clubs suing leagues if if it led to a relegation for example um but i just think that's the situation we're in i think playing a game at a neutral ground isn't is not the end of the world i don't think that it's a deal breaker i like i really don't if if it's safe i don't think you've got an excuse if they can if they can guarantee safety which is the key thing here I don't think you've got a leg to like, stand on and say, well, we don't want to play there because it's not quite fair. Well, it's it's more fair than probably playing away from home. Like, it's more of an advantage of your club. Like, if you're going to take into account, like, atmospheres and stuff and go into a hostile atmosphere, like, I don't know, away Aston Newcastle. Villa. <laughs> Aston Villa. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not it's not that big a deal kind of thing. You've got to work with the league. Like, I I do feel a little bit sorry for the guys who have to make these decisions because there isn't a right decision there isn't a clear cut solution to this at all in the same way that there's no clear- cut solutions for politicians to to guide countries through this um through this sort of crisis even though I think you know most of them are useless but that's another another thing I, I don't I think it's an unwinnable situation you are gonna have bad times you're gonna in terms of countries you're gonna lose people to this virus in terms of sport you're going to lose money um in terms of the economy you're going to be in a hole for the possibly the next 10 years or what have you so there isn't going to be a situation where we go well if we do this everyone's happy because everybody loses yeah i get you yeah Yeah. you, you, you can't wait another year for the premier league because clubs will genuinely go bust and then they'll need bailing out by the by the whoever can possibly bail out a football club maybe the government and then that bankrupts the bloody country so that's that's not not a thing the other the other alternative if if you lose if they fail to get um you know bailed out by the by the government is football just goes away and that's like as a, as incompletely and everyone has to start again from no money and no clubs so this could literally end football if you if you'd waited for too long i mean and that's an extreme example but I, that is a possible Thing uh, direction in which we could go, so there are coming back to Brighton, you have to make some sort of sacrifice. And if they're what I think as well is like, if you if they're the guys who're saying, Yeah, well, we don't want to do this, but the other like 19 clubs do, then it's it's kind of like tough, isn't it? Because you know, everyone else wants to start, you don't, so then the league has to put them in a position where you say, Well, everyone else is happy, so if you're refusing to play games, then that implicates you know you're refusing to play so there's there's point deductions and and abandoning games and what have you so it's a it's an absolute mess as it has been for for you know a couple of months now and there's no clear-cut solution to it so you just gotta hope that everyone works together and if there is a clear solution at any given point even if you have to make sacrifices then i think you have to take it
0: you can see it happening can't you lads there's a nationwide recession but don't worry we've saved Milton Keynes Don's (laughs) Football Club of all the clubs to save exactly it'll probably be someone like it'll probably be someone like that you can sell Marley's got a good point there will be inevitably an asterisk next to this season regardless of whether it starts behind closed doors in neutral venues with everything back to normal again there's been such a gap now as I said at the top of the show over two months between the last football that was played and the day we're recording this podcast, which is longer than the normal gap between the end of the season and the start of pre-season for the next campaign. So there is inevitably going to be an asterisk. Is it just a matter of clubs getting on with it when the time is right and when it's safe?
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's the most likely, that's the most sensible solution to the situation. And obviously as you say that, that little asterisk that will be next to the, the, the league title or the, the Champions League place or the relegation will exist you know it will be probably a trivia question in 20 years time when we're all sitting around bragging about the 2019-20 or season or, or, or our knowledge of it um, and I think it's <clears throat> I think in terms of the 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 title obviously Liverpool um, have come under massive scrutiny their fan base has come under massive scrutiny for their motivations for the season to restart etc you know we're not going to get into that as a whole podcast on its own but Um, I think in the way the season is I just think clubs don't have a choice really than to follow the direction in which the league is taking them and if that means that their season is spoilt by the fact that it's not a a complete league title or a complete top four place or or, or a complete Premier League safety position or, or whatever I just think that's the reality of the situation and to touch on what Marley was saying about certain clubs and what Brighton might want or Aston Villa might want I think ultimately it's going to be a little bit of a playground mentality here in that we see time and again with television rights and, and the way that the money is distributed in the Premier League that the top six, top seven generally get their way. And those clubs, from what we read, from what we hear, do want to return when it's safe, etc. And I think that will rule the day. These votes on when to restart and and, and, and how we'll restart, it's not like the UN where you know <laughs> certain people have... At equal weight. In, in fact, the you know the Security Council of the UN is a bit like the the top six in the Premier League. They will they do hold the sway. Let let's be realistic about this. As much as nobody likes to admit it, they do hold the sway because ultimately money rules the day in in so many decisions. Mm. Um, and, and as much as we don't like to admit it, it does it does rule the day in terms of. So many things that, that guide the game that we all love so much and and that we all base so much of our lives around, <laughs> uh, whichever way you look at it. And I think when we look at the the way the the league's going to end up and whether certain supporter bases are going to be unhappy because it it's not the way they wanted it to end or they don't feel like it's a full end to the season or proper end to the season. Or you know, I think the Asterix idea is quite a good one. I think it's just just tough. Just tough looking, yeah. you know, there's there's far more important things going on at the minute and yeah. in reality I think, and I've been saying this to, to people in the last couple of weeks, if and when the season restarts, personally I can't see any major changes to the way the table looks at the moment, I, I don't see any huge changes and the, the points per game thing is an interesting one, there's mm. very little changes to how the table would look if it was points per game at the end of the season so I just think, if and when the season restarts, There cannot really be that much scope for, oh, but this isn't how I thought it would be. Come on.
0: Yeah, people can't hold the hands of their loved ones as they pass away due to this vile virus and people are worried about how to end the season. It does all seem quite trivial when you lay it out like that. For me, what I want, I want as many clubs to survive as possible because I think we will see a few casualties from this. But more importantly, I want as many people to survive as possible. And I think that should be the overriding outlook from most people involved with the game. Let's hope that this Premier League vote today, Monday, uh, comes to an affable conclusion for all of us. Right then, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. But afterwards, we'll be talking about the situation regarding the Premier League's lone players, both in and out. We've spoken about Premier League stars who are out of contract, but what about those on loan? They seem to have been forgotten. More after this.
1: Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Rubriegs. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
0: Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your usually daily Premier League podcast, but during this coronavirus lockdown period, we're just producing three podcasts a week, so you're still getting your footy fix. And of course, keep your eye out on our social media pages as well. Uh, we've got loads of content there for you, and on Fridays here on Football Social Daily, we do a Q&A podcast, so get your questions in, search Sports Social on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, uh, and send us your Questions We'd love to hear from you right then time to talk about the Premier League's loan Rangers and the reason I'm calling them loan Rangers. Well, it's a quite a nice pun, to be honest, because there are 163 of them either on loan at Premier League clubs or loaned out across the world from Premier League clubs. Now, we've spoken about the fact that some players might be out of contract on the 30th of June, but lots of these loan spells, Fergal, also end on the 30th of June. Now, there are so many different permutations regarding this. And again, it comes down to the idea of fairness and integrity of competition. Two words that we've heard so much of over the last two weeks. What happens to these players, in your opinion, when the leagues resume? Do they return to the parent club and play for the parent club? Or do they stay at the loan club and the loan game? get extended. I mean, this is just one of the many things that a chief executive or director of football will have to think about in the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I think in terms of loan players, just like players that are coming to the end of their contract, there needs to be a directive from the Football Association, from the Premier League, as to what all clubs universally have to do. Because for me, if it's left to individual clubs to essentially sort out the paperwork on these moves... We're not going to have a universal approach and we could see a huge disparity in, you know, the the words that you mentioned there, integrity and fairness. That will go out the window if clubs are left to make these decisions on their own, because clubs and managers and, and players are ultimately selfish entities. And I mean that in the sense of that they want their own club and their own fortunes to be successful. So if you're in a position where you've got a player on loan and they're doing really well for you, you're going to want to keep them in order to stay in the Premier League or or qualify for Europe or or whatever. Um, I don't really see any sort of clear move on how this will be worked out unless there's a directive from authorities, as I say, the league or or the FA. Because if this is left to agents and contracts to be sorted out on an individual basis, obviously some of the high-profile ones that are coming uh, up to the end of the contract will be willian or pedro at chelsea and there's talk of oh but they'll they'll just play through you know into july you know these are not sunday league players that you can bring up and be like ah come on you know be a mate you know we we, you know we're short this sunday we're gonna have to put you know (laughs) barry the milkman in goal if you don't turn (laughs) up no these are these are premier league footballers represented by professional agents that are not just gonna um base contracts on goodwill and, you know, good faith. Oh, you know, I've been at this club for six years. You know, they've done me well. I'll I stay on for another month. You know, as much as I said before the break about how footballers are normal people and normal jobs, in this instance, they're very much not. They, they know their worth. They know they don't have to do these things unless they're contractually obliged to. And unless there's a clarity on exactly what all players in the Premier League are contractually obliged to, whether that's they've been loaned to the Premier League or they've been loaned out of the Premier League, um, there won't really be any movement. I think the real difficulty is players that have been loaned out of the Premier League because mm. then they're going into the jurisdictions of uh, European leagues and potentially UEFA. And I think there's going to be a series of, of, of messes. And, and just quickly, one of the best examples, and it doesn't fit exactly into this, but is the situation at um, Barcelona with Luis Suarez. Now, La Liga gave Barcelona permission to sign Martin Braithwaite from, from Leganes and... Because they proved, in good faith, you know, that, that old favourite, that Usman Dembele and Suarez were both injured until the, rest of this, to the end of the season and wouldn't play again. Obviously, they couldn't foresee a, a pandemic coming over the hill. Suarez is now back fit and training. Now, Leganes are probably going to get relegated and they've lost their top scorer weren't allowed to sign a replacement their manager's gone mental
0: it's a kick in the teeth to see Suarez out there again scoring goals when they were promised that he wouldn't be doing that
2: exactly and it would be typical Suarez whether it's La Liga or Champions League that he pops up with a really important goal that could potentially secure them a league title or a Champions League whilst Leganes are probably going to get relegated and the original decision has been thrown in the bin now all that was made in good faith at the time as, as you know the, the loan moves that we've talked about in the Premier League but the, you know, the, the goalposts have been moved massively in the last two months and it's a mess and, and clubs cannot be expected to decide this on an individual basis. There needs to be a directive from, from above, otherwise we're going to face yet another massive issue just to throw on the pile of issues that we're dealing with at the minute.
0: What do you think about the situation then, Marley? Because in my opinion, it won't be so bad for players coming into the Premier League. For instance, Pepe Reina, the goalkeeper on loan at Aston Villa. I mean, Tom Heaton's been injured. That's why they brought him in. And by the time this pandemic is over and football's back started again, Heaton might well be fit and therefore probably come back to reclaim his number one spot, which isn't too much of a hindrance for Aston Villa. But for instance, if you're talking about someone coming back in from loan who might make a huge difference, let's just say, for example, off the top of my head, Grady Dean Garner maybe at West Brom. He's on loan from West Ham at West Brom. He's been one of the best players in the championship. If he comes back to West Ham turns their season around in this mini 9 game sprint finish to conclude the campaign keeps west ham up would that be considered unsporting for me it seems more of a drama of players coming back from clubs they've been loaned to rather than bringing players in
1: yeah uh, yeah it could be couldn't it um as you, as we we go ahead i do think there will be something uh controversial waiting for us whether it's Suarez scoring the goal that clinches uh, Barcelona the league title in Spain or, or something like this. Imagine if Diangana came back and scored the goal that that kept West Ham in the Premier League. I mean, that'd be... You know, it'd be, it'd be typical of football for that type of stuff to happen. So um, there will be something, something somewhere that happens like this that exploits some sort of loophole somewhere. Um, Heaton, for example, as you said, I mean... Heaton coming back, getting his first team spot back as he as he would have, uh, as he would expect him to, um, or something like that. But I think this whole situation needs to be; it can only be resolved by again um, negotiation and common sense prevailing. I think clubs um, clubs negotiate um, loan deals to 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 the thirtieth of thirtieth of June. Because there's a worldwide acceptance that that is the end of the season. 30th of June is the end of the season. It's finished. 30th of June is the 2019-20 season. The 2021 season starts on July the first. So it's a complete like it's like <clears throat> excuse me. It's like you you're turning a page in the in the chapter of football. To use a, a weird analogy that gets me all. Uh, glaze eyed about uh, the future of football. <laughs> um, Have you been drinking this but, morning? Uh, only a couple. He's
0: still drinking from that Newcastle takeover, which hasn't happened yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the cans are on standby for that. Um, but you, you mean, like, from from one season to the other, that's the 30th of June to the 1st of July, That's that's it. So there is an acceptance of that date being... One season or the end of one season, so it's up to clubs to say, Well, you know, like, yeah, there is a day on uh Pepe Reina's contract, for example. Um, there is that Pepe Reina's contract says 30th of July, but uh, 30th of June, but Tom Heaton's still injured, for example. So let's um, let's say we he stays, whereas maybe this uh, the Milan want him back or something like that, but. It's up. It's up. It's up to them. Like they need to. They need to sort it out. But there is a, there is common sense that prevails for me in this. In in the case of, that date is on that contract because it's meant to be the end of the season. If the season gets extended, then that date should also be extended. So West Brom could keep Grady Diane Garner, uh, for example. Newcastle could keep Jetro Willems, who's been a, a success at the club. Um, until the Saudis come in and find, find some world-class left-back to uh, to sign and throw money at. <laughs> but I do think there's a natural solution to this, and, and that's it for me.
0: Though clubs like Chelsea, Fergal, who seem to have an army of players out on loan, a whole battalion, I mean, Frank Lampard will be licking his lips for squad rotation, but the limit, the cap for players in a Premier League squad is 25 players. So all of these Chelsea players out on loan, well, I mean, it's unlikely that we're going to see them back at Stamford Bridge and taken a part in the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, and again, it just comes back to the same point of where the line in the sand gets drawn of who can be classed as a player for this season, who will be classed as a player for next season. And yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea are a brilliant example of how this could turn into a real, real mess because they've got, I think it's 28 or 29 players out on loan across various clubs in Europe if they were all to flood back in, uh, not just from a, a coronavirus perspective of 28 players turning up at the training ground, um, but from a, a squad point of view, it, it would be an absolute mess. So I think whether it's one player coming back, whether it's a group of players coming back, there needs to be a clear decision. And I think to go back to that word integrity, the the integrity of the season, I think if, if we want to have any sort of shred of integrity of the, of the season left, then the, the parameters of the season need to be kept to. So... The players that have played in 2019-20 need to be the same players that complete the 2019-20 season. The, the players that are on loan returning, they're 2020-21 players. They're, they're not for this season. I know that might sound a bit strange and you can't just pick and choose, but there has to be some sort of line drawn in terms of what is this season and what is next season. If this season is to finish, there can't be any sort of grey area uh, with regarding dates or, or players involved or, or managers or, or, or anything there needs to be a bit of a line drawn in terms of well this is what is the information and the results and the, the league positions for, for this season this is for next season and Chelsea has, as you say are a very very good example and you know the the story comes out every season about how many players they've got on loan and mm. are they stockpiling players and is that right and is that wrong and you know the ethics of signing players just because their rivals wanted them just to keep them away from their rivals yeah that, that you know that's a completely separate subject but I think in terms of the players that are coming back Frank Lampard shouldn't for my money be allowed to re-include them in his squad simply because we're talking about fairness and balance the best way to maintain that sort of fairness and balance is to make clubs stick to the 2019-20 rules and, and, and what they've got because whilst they can welcome back players like I'm looking at the list here Timo Bakayoko um Baba Rahman uh, you know they've got so many good players whereas if you're Norwich who are you welcoming back on loan? Hmm. Nobody. So you're already in a bad situation and you're in a position that um, all these players would be coming into a situation where they don't really know the structure of the club that season and it would just be unfair you need to maintain fairness to the best of the Premier League's ability Chelsea would effectively have a transfer window if they were allowed to bring all these players back in, Mm. which would be obviously massively ironic, given the fact that they've you know tangled with UEFA and FIFA in the past about not having a transfer window because they've been a bit naughty when signing certain players. Mm. Norwich wouldn't be able to have anybody. Chelsea would have their pick of two dozen players to, to potentially bring back in. So I think there needs to be a line in the sand drawn in terms of which players are for this season and which players are for next season. Because if it's not then I think we may as well throw this season in the bin because we're getting onto such unsteady ground. And, you know, you mentioned before about an asterisk. We're going to have to put 10 asterisks next to this season if we start letting lone players come back in and and be um, Mm. reintegrated into squads.
0: And we'll talk about Chelsea's transfer ethics a little bit more shortly because now we're going to look at transfer gossip across the Premier League. This is probably more likely going to be about the circumstances surrounding these moves rather than the actual players themselves. Apart from this one, Because, Marley, we've spoken about Newcastle United already and you've mentioned about how the Saudis might be interested in bringing in a world-class player. Well, reports over the weekend suggested that the club want Coutinho from Barcelona as their first signing under new ownership. Now, of course, we're still waiting for the, the takeover to be ratified by the Premier League. I'm sure the league are probably focusing on other things they've got going on at the moment, which is why it's being delayed. What would you make of that? Felipe Coutinho coming in as the club's first signing under new ownership.
1: Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs>
0: John Joe Shelby are keep uh, him out of the team. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Honestly, I mean it's you've got to remember you're talking to a guy who's uh, who's sat through Newcastle unveiling the likes of Seydou Doombier, Sim De Jong, Emmanuel Rivier, Chef Gikucci. Excuse me, Chef Gikuchi. That's the uh, emotion.
2: Your voice cracking up. <laughs>
1: exactly, I know. Um all these all these players we've signed and now we're getting linked with all these these world-class players who've got uh, un- uncertain futures at wherever they may be and Coutinho's the first one and and seems you know it's probably what gonna be one of them transfer rumors that that ne- that doesn't go away until until the papers board are bored of printing it you remember Wesley Schneider getting linked to Man United for 10 years in a row you know 10 years ago <laughs> that flight for his medical um, still up in
0: the air somewhere
1: yeah, same as uh, same as Lewandowski's uh, <laughs> move to Blackburn that got put off by the ash cloud back in two thousand and ten or whatever it was. Um, but yes, I mean my my outlook on the on the early on the early stages of the takeover was I'll believe it when I see it, and uh, in terms of Coutinho signing for Newcastle United, I'll believe that when I see it as well because until they come in, you don't really know what they're gonna. Do in terms of uh their their transfer policy um and their their outlay on on superstars I don't know whether a financial fair play would 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 stop them throwing wild amounts of money at everyone but i mean if you're looking at if you're looking at building a team you know Coutinho is a fantastic player obviously but um you know it, there's a long way to go before you see him pulling on a black and white uh, shirt. And he's got a. The thing we're gonna maybe struggle with is attracting players to the northeast as well. If you look at all the, uh, the the where the transfer market goes, I think there's a lot of players coming from foreign countries that don't want to move to the north of of um, of England because they all see London as this amazing uh, amazing metropolis of this amazing place to live and all the rest of it, but. In reality, I don't. I don't really get that. I don't think that's a that's a massive pull in terms of where you would want to play. If if you're getting paid enough, you would move to the north, and that's that's where we've got to be careful. I, I mean, are we just throwing money at people? If it if it comes to that, and where are their heads in terms of their loyalties and that kind of thing? But for the short term, the short term thing of is he better than what we've got? Absolutely. I think he's just about. Uh, he just about edges Isaac Hayden for assists, and uh, <laughs> just, he's he's slightly fitter than Jestro Williams at the minute, and you know he's probably got a little, quite a few more goals in him than Joel Linton has. <laughs> um, I'll tell you well, what, it, 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 I'll, t- we'll see. I'll tell you what the Saudis need to do. They need to build a
0: massive, massive greenhouse about forty miles square and just put a load of mansions in there so that all the footballers can be happy and they've got their own little microclimate where it's nice and warm. A bit like in the Simpsons episode where they put that massive glass bowl (laughs) around Springfield. Do something similar to that with Newcastle and you might be attracting some players from abroad uh, a bit more regularly. Um, But Fergal, you cover Spanish La Liga quite a lot. Reports from Spain suggest that uh, the Brazilian is on a list of targets for the Saudis uh, as new Newcastle owners. It's said that He's not in Bayern Munich's plans. He's not in his parent club Barcelona's plans for next season. Interestingly, the two touted destinations are PSG in France or a return to the Premier League. Now, this is where it gets interesting for me because PSG are owned by the Qataris and Newcastle are likely to be owned by the Saudis. If there becomes a bidding war, it's likely to be more than just a tussle over a player. It's going to become almost... A transfer which is used for political value and Coutinho might be used as a political pawn in this situation, but does look like Coutinho will be leaving Barcelona in one way or another.
2: Yeah, I think we're all surprised to see that Coutinho could potentially be the, the pawn in this football cold war but you're right in saying that that it could be uh, a case of who can bid more You know, who's got the bigger front, who wants to do this and, and generally PSG have won the day in these sorts of moves uh, in recent years we've seen that with Neymar, we've seen that with Mbappe but mm. um, with Coutinho I, I think Marley's exactly right Newcastle need to box clever here um, they need to ask themselves why Coutinho would want to come to Newcastle with, with the greatest respect in the world to Newcastle They need to be very careful, like any club, when they suddenly come into money, as it was the case with Man City, that they don't just throw money around and that they're actually signing players on the right premise, that they're not signing players that go, you've got how much money? Pass me a pen. Because that sometimes can be the danger in these situations. For me, yeah, you're right in saying that Barcelona wants to get rid of him. I think they've realised that for a variety of reasons, he doesn't quite fit into the role that they wanted him to play in. Um, I imagine there's probably been a few... Talents off to the Barcelona scouting department in the last 18 months or so. Obviously, with Griezmann coming in, he's well ahead of Coutinho in terms of their plans now. Um, I almost think there's never been a more PSG signing than Coutinho. I think he's absolutely tailor-made for the club. Bags of talent. Hasn't really hit the expected heights uh, at previous big sides. As good as he was for Liverpool, Liverpool are a much better side without him and a much more much more of a team without him mm. uh, Klopp got a bit of criticism when he sold him initially he's been proven to be completely right um, in terms of that they haven't you know slid off without him Barcelona have proven that yes he's a talented player but he doesn't necessarily fit into their system either and PSG have, have constantly done this bought expensive trinkets to, to put into the team uh, to try and make it work we, you, know, you know the whole expression what is it Ferrari at the front Ford Escort at the back that's kind of what they are Um, and that's why they haven't achieved what they wanted to achieve in the Champions League so Mm. in terms of Coutinho I think PSG would be almost an ideal move, he'd get the wages he wants he'd get the Champions League football that he wants he'd still win the title, PSG are more than likely going to continue to walk the the French League title Um, in terms of a return to the Premier League I think there's going to be a lot of interest it's probably going to fill the, the pages over the summer but I would be wary and particularly if I was Newcastle, I think Newcastle's situation, when when and if the takeover goes through, they're going to have a huge amount of money to spend, they need to make sure that they're using their heads at the club with what they spend it on and, and I, as I say, I don't mean that negatively towards Newcastle, but their position now is a mid-table side pushing for potential Europa League qualification, they need to ask themselves, hmm, what does La Liga winning Brazilian international 150000 pounds a week, Philip Coutinho want with our club they, they need to, to be very, very clever in the players that they signed. I do think Newcastle has a club. They like their, their maverick players when you go back to the late 90s. Ginola, Robert. Um, I don't see Coutinho having that effect. I, I, I actually see this being more of a Rubinho situation if he was to sign. Brilliant player. Mm. I could see him banging in a few spectacular goals at St James's. But when Newcastle need him to, to get a goal on the road or if they're pushing for, you know, potentially a Champions League place and, and they need a big performance away at a, a top four rival... I can see him go missing.
0: It's hard not to draw comparisons between the Manchester City takeover of 10 years ago and this one, two big clubs with plenty of potential. It's fair to say it took Man City a fair few cracks of the whip to get it right in terms of bringing the right player in. It might take a while for Newcastle fans to maybe get the the calibre of player that they're after. What about Watford then? This next story is an interesting one. Watford claimed to have signed Pape Gay, who's a midfielder from French club Le Havre, Uh, two weeks ago on pre-contract terms. Well, they revealed that that he actually signed contract terms in January. They only revealed it a couple of weeks ago. Now, Pepe Gay's agent has said he wants to do a U-turn for more money. Thinks that he doesn't want to sign for Watford anymore. Doesn't want to play there anymore because he thinks he can get more money elsewhere. Now, we know football can be um, a bit of a bitchy game, Marley, and a bit underhanded. But the one thing I like about this is at least the agent's being honest here.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, (laughs) we all know... Agents are driven by one thing and it's not the, uh, the happiness of their client necessarily. It's, um, it's money. So, I mean, this, this is all seems to have gone through. Um, I'm looking at the, uh, the agent now and he, he you know, he's, he's clearly in it for, for himself. He's, he's saying at what well, I, I, at this stage, I question the validity of the, of the contract. Um, and basically saying that Watford have have used their muscle to to uh, overpower Lahav, and say you know you've you've signed him on the cheap basically because it's a bit strange strange conditions. Um, he's blaming it as well on a former agent as well. So it's not like you know if if you look at agents and they're not afraid to do anything and in, that includes them throwing each other under the bus if that means them getting more money. I don't think they're the most moral uh morally you know they've got high morals basically what i'm saying so this is strange because the, from from what we know i think the contract's been signed so good luck breaking that because it's it's a contract i mean watford are gonna have uh, lawyers drawing up that contract it's gonna be watertight i don't think you're really in a position to uh, to go back on it if if everything's been signed and your name's on it as as papi gay has his name on it, so I don't really think they've got a, uh, a leg to stand on in this situation. From what it from what it looks like from the outside, uh, I'm sure that sports lawyers will be uh, chomping at the bit to try and get the teeth into it because they've been uh, they've been robbed of a of a transfer window to to have a look at. So they'll be looking out for the money. It's it's just another thing that football doesn't really need right now. If, if you look at Watford they're probably having their entire time focusing on when, when we're going to play again. And then there's this new, you know, French lawyer coming in saying, well, have you got any time to look at this dodgy contract you may have sent? And they're just like, Oh, for God's sake, not another thing to look at. uh, Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Apparently Watford see him as a successor for
0: Etienne Capoue. And it looks likely that Watford might be relegated. If things stay as they are, they're going to have a bit of a task to stay up. We'll have to wait and see. Um, it looks like this is going to be the way to go for Premier League clubs, Virgo, isn't it? Try and scour the the, the lesser-known clubs in the in maybe the, the under-the-radar European leagues to try and find these young players who could possibly develop into into Premier League stars of the future.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Lukava have, have produced a fairly strong string of players over the years. Uh, Riyad Mahrez is probably the most recent graduate. I think Kante played for them when he was a kid as well. I'm not 100% on that, but I think he did. Mm. Um but yeah you're right the the whole market is going to be affected by the coronavirus pandemic in the the next few weeks in the next few months and not just ahead of next season probably the 2021 2022 season as well because um, the way that transfer dealings are done the way that wages are negotiated is going to change and I almost think that uh, that could be a real big positive because we'll be seeing scouts put in a position where their judgement on players might be backed more rather than financial reasons for signing players rather than shirt sales and and image rights and etc 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 i know it might sound a little bit old school but managers trusting their scouts when their scout says i've seen this player 30 times i can i know i know his shoe size i know the color of his toothbrush i know everything trust me he is going to be a success at this club i can see where he fits into the to the unit of the squad where he fits into the team i think he'd get on board with your methods." etc. 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 Um and there is value out there. You know, Maris and Kante are two that I've just named there. They're two of the most profitable players in the Premier League, considering what Leicester sold them on for. And they're two of the best. So, you know, the the value is out there. The value's always been out there. It's just issues with the willingness to not necessarily do the work. I, I don't think scouting networks are not willing to do the work. From a club point of view of there's so many people involved in transfers now that sometimes the right decisions are not made because the motivations for signing a player are not necessarily what the manager wants or, or what the scouting department wants. So mm. for me, bring it on because um, as much as, you know, obviously the story about Papi Gay is, is popped up and I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, we wouldn't even really be hearing about a random French midfielder that Watford <laughs> had just signed. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of looking, like I say, a little bit below the radar, Bottom half clubs in, in, in top tier leagues across Europe, maybe even second division clubs. Um, I, I'm all for it. If if the if the talent is there, bring it on.
0: Yeah, quite an interesting one, this. Um, we'll have to wait and see what happens, whether he will end up a Watford player or not. We're not so sure. But uh, a curious fact about Le Havre is that they were founded by uh alma mater of Oxford and Cambridge Universities. And their club anthem, believe it or not, is actually to the tune of "God Save the Queen," uh, the British national anthem, which is very interesting. Can't imagine a bunch of French blokes singing uh, to the to the tune of "God Save the Queen" uh, every other Saturday. Uh, the final one we're going to talk about today uh, involves Serie A club Sassuolo and a player called Jeremy Bogger. Uh, he was uh, a Chelsea player originally. He was sold to Sassuolo for about three million pounds. Chelsea, though, have a buyback clause of fifteen million euros. Now, the interesting situation here is that Everton are said to be really, really keen on Jeremy Bogger. Carlo Ancelotti is said to be willing to allocate a large amount of his transfer budget in the summer to sign him. But the fact of the matter is, Marley, Everton's hands are completely tied until Chelsea decide what they want to do. They've got first dibs, basically, on signing him back. There are rumours and reports suggesting Chelsea could actually buy him back and then sell him on for 10 or 15 million pounds more to make some extra cash for themselves in what's going to be difficult financial times. So it's possible that Everton could end up having to buy Bogger back off of Chelsea for 10 million pounds, 15 million pounds more than what they initially could have done if they bought him straight from Sassuolo. So this is a an interesting little transfer story.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's smart business by Chelsea. I think that's that's why you you import you impart these clauses on on deals when you sell players i think boga was already was always a um uh, a high highly touted prospect from a young age that's why chelsea signed him um and he went on one of their many many loan expeditions around around europe and had a few loan spells and then eventually sassuolo took the uh, took the dive on him and and wanted him permanently um and one of the one of the Asterisks around buying a player like that is the selling club in 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 recent times always want a buyback clause because they know that there is still potential even if it wasn't at their club. For example, I mean, there's been there's been a few examples of it around uh, around the world. If you look at uh, Luka Jovic, um, I think he went to uh, Frankfurt and then on to Real Madrid for something something similar. Um, I think Frankfurt signed him from. Benfica for I think it I think it was eight million and sold him for sixty or something like that so so there you go there's there's the situation where this has uh, taken precedent from um, so yeah I mean it's just one of them things Everton Everton can't get round the buyback clause they can't negotiate directly with Sassuolo really because Chelsea are always lurking there with their with their uh, buyback clause which is watertight you can't really get around it unless they just, unless they choose not to impart it which would lead them losing ten to 15 million quid or whatever it is so the best thing is just to, to suck it up and if you want the player you got you got to pay pay what he's worth you're not going to get him for cheaper if there's this kind of clause you know he's worth let's say 30 million quid or whatever it is so you got to be prepared to pay that for him and take the chance on him but all I uh, all I think is Let's let's hope that Everton's uh, Everton scouting system have finally got this right because let's be honest, the their success rate over recent years has been poor, hasn't it? Let's be honest the, the amount the amount of players they've signed over over the last few years that won't be there in terms of the future where Ancelotti wants to take them. You look at Chenk Tosun, you look at Umar Nias, Theo Walcott, um, all these all these kind of players. They're just not. Yannick Balassi, for example, you know, he's still technically an Everton player, which baffles me. Um, but it is what it is. You've, you've got to start getting it right in terms of scouting. So if you are going to go and spend £30 million on a player, just make sure he's bloody good.
0: If you're an Everton fan, and Carlo Ancelotti is reportedly interested in this player, you'd like to think that someone with his experience, Fergal, knows what he's talking about.
2: Yeah, and I think, as, as Marley said, I'd like to see Carlo taking a more active role in who the club's buying than what's been the situation in the past, because the few names that he's just rattled off there, and you know, you, you can add to that with, with a few others, have really underperformed, particularly when you look at the transfer fees that have been paid out by Everton to bring them to the club, and their performances on the pitch haven't haven't matched that. But um, Ancelotti's an interesting one. Um, I do still think he's a bit of a, a light-touch manager, um, I think, in terms of the way that he approaches things. But what he is, is a brilliant judge of player. Um, and as you say he's looked at Boger and gone yes he can add something to the team I think he'll bring us up another level maybe two um, then he's definitely worth a punt on but Everton find themselves in a situation that there's another slight like, kind of drawback to, to Newcastle there of they need to be mindful of how they're spending the money as Marley said they've not been careful over the last 12-18 months and they've just kind of thrown money around on players that they were determined to get rather than looking into their suitability for the club Um You would expect Ancelotti to have done his homework. This is his first full transfer window uh, ahead of a new season. Obviously, he had January, I know, but January's a chaotic market. We all know that. And, Hmm. you know, a lot of kind of random decisions get made over who to bring in, who to sell, what have you. Um, This is a situation where he's got the ability to plan now about who he wants. Obviously, that's going to be affected by the pandemic, the the transfer budget after when the season starts, etc., but the decisions that he makes this summer are probably going to define where Everton go in the next 12, 18 months because they've bet so much on Ancelotti. Mm. Um, you know, when he got brought in, we all looked at the situation and went, Carlo, Ancelotti, yeah. and Everton. I'm, I'm reading that right. Yeah, Carlo, Ancelotti, and Everton. Okay. Um, Everyone needs to justify that now. He needs to justify that he's gone there to build something, not just for the big wages. The club needs to justify that they really want to be a top six, top four pushing side by backing him and backing his judgment. So it's going to be very interesting because, as Marley said, they've made quite a few mistakes in the last, uh, last while that needs to be turned around with some sensible transfers and a direction of where they want to be going on and off the pitch.
0: OK, lads, great to chat to you again here on Football Social Daily. Hopefully you uh, you enjoy the rest of the week. Don't go uh, breaking any lockdown rules, will you?
2: No, just conga.
0: Just conga and play football <laughs> as many times with your missus as you want uh, out in the parks of the uh, of the country. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Don't forget you can get involved on our social media channels at the Sports Social on Twitter, uh, at Sports Social on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook as well. Still fielding your questions for the Friday Q&A podcast that we do every single week during this lockdown period. So get your questions in. Anything you want discussed, anything you think, why on earth are the lads not talking about that? Go and send us a message. Send us your question in, and we'll read as many out as we can on Friday's podcast. Thanks, Marley. Thanks, Fergal. Thank you. Cheers, mate. And we'll speak to you again on the next podcast.
1: Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo.